City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. Limits. Okay, the acres and acres of tones. Are we on air? Okay, okay, yeah. Okay. Yep. Sorry, your right. headphones might not be very good. Oh, okay, yeah, whatever it is, I just couldn't. I just a bit strange. That's a good start to the show. Got off to a, ramp, <laughs> got off to a raving start. <laughs> And um, we've got um, we've got a new face last night on um, last night on going on the going home show Tuesday home time uh, they preempted the fact that we're going to have a new guest on or new co presenter <laughs> here today so she's here welcome hello it's Eugenia now you did tell me Repchenko. Zubchenko. Zubchenko. Jeez, it took me two oh, minutes to figure wow. that. <laughs> There's a lot of letters there. It's easy Virginia, to no, no, we should know it. Zubchenko. Um, Regenia and, of course, Meg uh, over there, Meg Kimber. Hello. And Kevin Healy and it's City Limits. And Meg's, and um, Eugenia is coming on as a new co-presenter. Eugenia, just very briefly tell people what brilliance you're going to bring to the show. <laughs> don't know about brilliance. Uh, my background's in architecture, um, so I guess I'll bring a bit of experience with that. And I'm really passionate about, um, yeah, about how people interact with their city and how they can get more involved in urban planning. Right. Well, that sounds great. Yeah. Right. Exciting. <laughs> you kick off, well, you can kick off this morning with urban planning at the airport because that's yeah. uh, one of the issues we're going to be addressing. We're going to be talking to uh, Helen Franks, who's an activist out at, uh, they've actually formed a group called the Hume Residence Airport Action Group. And um, we're going to talk to Helen about why they're opposing extensions to Melbourne Airport. One of the ironies, and she's talking primarily about two new runways, which will impact on residents, but one of the ironies out there at the moment, because for so long we've also talked to Helen Vandenberg from the same area about over many years about trying to clean up the toxic waste dump at Tullamarine. Mm. And yet the airport or the airport owners are talking about setting up some sort of medical research place out there, which would be very close to the toxic waste dump, which we find rather interesting and rather was, ironic. But I anyway, f- was it medical well, research? I felt like last week you said it was a kind of a health resort. Well, it, no, it's oh. medical research. In fact, they're talking about researching cancer, which is very clever because they'll have oh. cancers on their doorstep caused oh. by the thing. So that you know, it's, all, it's not a bad idea. Yeah. It's very they're, clever, they're all, oh, co-locating. St- stunningly brilliant. And in the second half, because it is the third Wednesday of the month, it's Housing Day, and April Bragg from the Housing for the Aged Action Group is coming into the studio um, mm. in the last half of the show. And I'm going to pour good. some tea. Everyone want tea today? I'd love a bit of tea, thanks. I could take you literally and give you a drop. Well, <laughs> half a glass. Okay. <laughs> now we can, hope people can hear that. It's not right up to the mic, but I'm sure people can hear the tea pouring. There we are. Okay, that's that. And, uh, oh, okay, thanks, Eugenia. She's mm. handing it over. Um, look, sometimes I think, let's, let's just start with a bit of news this way. Sometimes I feel it has to go into the what can we say department because what can you say? Um, seriously, what can you say when Peter Dutton says, the Peter Duffer says, mm-hmm. The government is not going to be taken for idiots. I mean, at that point, what can you say <laughs> when it's <Yeah>. Peter Dutton? 
Um, yeah, nothing. You can't, exactly, you exactly. That. Well, that was the point, you wasn't can it? Laugh. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. <laughs> and I thought, you know, it was either a brilliant move or not. Last Saturday, last weekend, the ASEAN talk fest they had in Sydney to boost, uh, make Turnbull look good. Um, the first speaker they they imp- they threw on them was Dutton oh. talking about talking about re- about security in the region, regional security. And I thought, well. It's got it's two points here. One is what would they all think about Australian politics getting him first up? Yeah. And the collective IQ of our parliament for God's sake. Yeah. But then secondly, it's quite a brilliant move if you think about it because after Dutton, it had <laughs> to be all uphill. <laughs> <laughs> is it true? Did I read somewhere that he was thinking about making a play for the leadership of the Liberal Party? Um, yeah, did well, you read that? That's, well, he's been talked about for ages, long. but it's it's a reflection on him as well, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Gosh. after his bit last week about white South Africans. Yeah. Of course, he was nine years a Queensland copper. That probably explains a lot. Oh. Don't you reckon? Uh, yeah. yeah, could do. Yeah. The other one this week, um, and I don't know why you need researchers for this, They've done a research and discovered that sausages are high in salt <laughs> and dangerous for kids. I mean, who needs research? Just take a bite Eat if you're a sausage, dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure of that one. And the other one I found fascinating was this line about one of these early morning, or these um, Channel 7, Channel 9 morning shows, which are mindless. I mean, if you, I'm sure no one, or none of us ever watch them. I hope we don't. <laughs> I mean, them. These, you hear the names of these people, you never actually see them, but they're always in the news. But one of the blokes um, uh, in a Uber taxi um, was drunkenly talking about his co host, uh, Georgie Gardner, and called her a fence sitter with no strong opinions. And I thought, well, well what's wrong with that? Because surely the prerequisite to being on that sort of show would be not the ability, inability to think. <laughs> or um, at least not, you know, not have having no an opinion. Yeah. 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 Or if, long as you're, unless your opinion is extreme right wing when you can shout down anyone else who has another yeah. one. But, you know, you short might of that. You might be thinking of Fox News now. Yeah, yeah. Well, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they all do it. They all do it. <laughs> and there's the other one on this line of uh, looking at things. Uh, Daniel Ricardo, who's here for the Grand Prix this weekend where they'll tear up a public park yet again. Uh-huh. Uh, he now he's he stepped out of his um, his Formula One sport. I don't know if I call it sport actually, but anyway, Formula One thing. And he he's urging the AFL to have a a, a night grand final under lights, etc. Um, so I don't know what he's, which I think is very very good of him to come here and tell us that. Yeah. <laughs> but then I thought, well, there's another. I, I reckon what we could urge is is have the grand pricks at night, mm-hmm. but no lights. <laughs> And you know, you'd, you'd what? And somewhere you'd, else? Well, maybe? you'd clean yeah. well, but then you'd clean up the whole Grand Prix thing oh, for the year no. in one go because they'd all crash out and <laughs> etc. So that'd be good, I reckon. So uh, at night, no lights would be a great idea. Great idea. Well, you could send them a letter. You could maybe let them know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm saying, you know, picking up on Daniel's grand point. Um, we can here we go um on a more serious note though we mentioned a couple of weeks ago about newcrest mining in new guinea um a proposed mine called wafi golpu and um sadly it has done what we predicted it was going to do it's decided that its mine waste will be pumped into the ocean 
and not on land, which is uh, really great, isn't it? Um, they say that the land where they have it is uh, is unstable and it's open to seismic um, movements, etc. Um, and they disturb land. But they also said it would disturb land that was valuable for biodiversity, heritage, and economic reasons. Now I don't remember too many mining companies being worried about those things, other than the economic reasons. Yeah, and what uh, about anywhere the, else? Like environmental diversity of the sea? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, well, anyway, it's going to be pumped into the ocean. It, 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 but it hosts. It's a deep canyon leading to a very deep oceanic basin, they said. So it should be quite okay because uh, it's going to be 200 metres below the water, just offshore a bit. But, you know, they're, they're, yeah. Incredible. They're gonna, yeah. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It is. It is. And I just thought it worth mentioning this week with that proposal that uh, Shorten put up about uh, people who don't pay any tax but get given handouts from the government should perhaps lose the handouts. And we mentioned last week, I think, that uh, Matthias Cormann, uh, the finance minister, had said it was a huge labour, huge labour socialist tax grab. And if you asked him, well, the people who now pay no tax, how much tax will they pay after the tax grab? The answer would still be no tax. So mm. it's a bit hard to see how it's a massive tax grab. Not really grabbing any mm. tax there. Yeah. No, mm. no. But the the press the press laid into Labor through the week and I'm not desperately going to support Labor in Batman either, but mm. um, even on Saturday morning in the Herald Sun, Labor poised to lose. Greens favoured as shortened tax plan bites. Well and they got that a little bit wrong, didn't touch they? Touch <laughs> wrong, touch wrong. Um, and um, Bill's hard left into Batman on the um, on the on the editorial shortened on the back foot day after day the Australian on Saturday, and I want to thank whoever is supposed to get it, but occasionally it lands on my doorstep. I don't know who's supposed to actually get it, but I open <laughs> to read it, yeah. and it landed on my doorstep last <laughs> Saturday, and it was just page after page of attacks on his policy and how it's going to impact on the poor people of this country, etc. Isn't that interesting? Awful? Yeah, when they defend the poor, you know they're, they're really defending, don't you? <laughs> Take a guess. Oh, I don't know. So it's just the Herald Sun you've been reading this week. What about the Fin Review? Oh, now we come to the Fin mm. Review. <laughs> and we have a sip of it. you got anything to say, by the way? I mean, I'm just raving on here. <laughs> well, I, not really news, but very local. I was just riding my bike to here today, and I noticed a lot of people texting while they were driving. Has anyone, have you guys noticed that? No, like I, I was riding past like lines of cars all backed up because there's road, yeah. there's train works on the train line around Dennis and Fairfield and people are like, people are sitting in their cars texting on their phones, but they're also people I saw driving and texting. I feel like this is a bit of a, not a good way to go in terms of driving. Definitely. You're not supposed to talk on your phone, but people text instead. Has anyone seen this? Oh, definitely well, doesn't make you safe as a cyclist. That's what I can no, say. No, <laughs> definitely no, not. No, no. Yeah. I, I didn't notice it, but I mean, it, it is illegal, but people do it, obviously. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. I almost feel like people do it because they can't talk on their phones and then they want to communicate, communicate. with people yeah, while they're in traffic. desperate. I have no yeah. desire to communicate with people riding my bike to here. I know. No, well, you don't even no. have a mobile phone. So, no, that's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's a safe around you, Kevin. <laughs> And, of course, they take out all the public phone boxes. I can't even stop and call someone. Um, Foodora, one of those um, gig economy food delivery mobs, uh, this is an extraordinary story. Um, One of of their cyclists, Josh Kluger, um, he set up an invite-only team chat Foodora Melbourne on an encrypted messaging service in a couple of years ago. But then after Foodora removed the base rates and set pay at $7 a delivery and cut their 
cut their rates, etc. They started using it about to talk about mm. pay and conditions and find out what other similar jobs were paying. Now, Fedora is suing this bloke. They've, they've got rid of him and they're suing him for potentially breaching confidentiality and intellectual property rights of Fedora by maintaining and or refusing to transfer ownership of telegram groups created by you within the scope of your contract with Fedora. So they're claiming wow. that this is their private property or the bloke's set up privately. Yeah, wow. um, and it's now, it's being tested in court as a test now whether in fact as, the, as they want to have them, these people are seen as contractors or whether they're actually direct employees, which we know they are. Mm. And in fact, in a separate story, Uber, Airbnb, and Deliveroo are also to a government inquiry urging the change in the law, but it's really to make what they're doing totally legal, and it's um, uh. so it's, it's going on. Mm. And just to finish on that note, um, uh, it's it, it's coming, it's been coming, it's become um, it's becoming more evident that people over the years have worked as motor mechanics when they had lots of asbestos in brake pads, etc., are now starting to emerge as one of the big groups coming up with asbestos-related diseases. Oh. Uh, so yet another group is uh, is copying it. Mm. And they're saying even people who might have you know, worked on their own cars, etc., might oh, you know, no. years ago could yeah, come up with when this. Did, uh, does it say in the information when they stopped making brake pads with it asbestos? Doesn't, it doesn't, yeah, right. but... Um, mm. Yeah, it doesn't, but uh, you know, it must. But certainly, you know, it's, we know it's about a twenty or thirty year gap mm. often before these mm. things start to show, and so mm. that's happening. Uh, and just one final comment on the on the efficiency of the private sector, I guess, and it's an awful thing to happen. But that bridge that fell down in um, in America last week, after being up for a few days, still being tested. Oh no! But allowing cars to go under it, I mean, it's just mm. oh. yet again a fine example of the super efficiency of the private sector, isn't it? Where was that? That was in America. It was at a, at a university, actually. It was at um, it's Miami, but it was over. It was in it within the Florida International University. They put up this footbridge mm. for students, but it it was one of these rush jobs where the whole thing came pre-done and oh. it was set up, and it was being tested. But the road under it was allowed to operate, and it, down it came, and it it killed a number of people. Um, That's sad. So yeah, um, so and, in, and injured lots of others. So. Pretty dreadful. Okay. I think that's it for comment today. No comment, uh, Eugenia? <laughs> I'm struggling station? to keep up. Flurry <laughs> 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 of news. Right. <laughs> oh, well, you, you'll, you'll be right. You'll catch up very shortly. So we'll go to, um, we'll go to our first guest and have a yarn to, um, to Helen Franks about the airport situation. Okay, back at uh, City Limits, and um, we've got Helen Franks from the Hume Residence Airport Action Group uh, on the line. Helen, before we go to um, go through, you've made you've set us a six point, um, six reasons why you oppose the uh, the, the airport extension. But just um, background, and how was the group formed, and just something about the extension that you're opposing? Good morning, Kevin. Thank you. Um, the group was formed because of um, residents' concerns as to the way in which consultation with local residents within the city of Hume and other municipalities adjacent um, were being impacted by the, um, the flights. And um, so the, the group has been in... Oh, gosh. They've been around before I joined them, shall we say, and there was also a a Fight the Flight Path um, group in Keelor, um, and they had significant concerns in relation to um, one of the roads there basically being used by 
uh, pilots to line up for the runway, which meant they were coming in pretty low as they are over many of the suburbs in um, within the city of Hume. Right, and the first point you make then about that is that there's two new runways planned, but the 2013 Melbourne Airport master plan was for no aircraft to take off to the east in the direction of Gladstone Park and West Meadows. So you're suggesting that that now is going to be abrogated. Um, well, and, that... and you also mention also that uh, it's, there's dangers from Essendon Airport involved because of the number of aircraft in the area. Well, this is one of the major concerns for many residents. Um, in the uh, 1989 Melbourne Airport um, strategy report, um, the development or the intention to have four runways was um, put forward and, and agreed on back then. But there was also recognition of the uh, level of noise impact on residents from aircraft. And in conjunction with consultants and uh, adjacent municipalities to Hume, there was a determination back then that um, aircraft, for the most part, not take off to the east and that um, no landings occur on the eastern runway between 8pm and 6am. And, I mean, our, our governments, all levels of government back then, so local, state and federal, had determined that they had concerns for people living close or within flight paths of the airport, and so they'd put that in. So they'd given real consideration to the safeguards um, for residents and also for businesses operating in the area, like cafes, etc. Um, unfortunately, the um, 2013 master plan, which is going to be superseded this year by the 2018 master plan, um, doesn't contain that same safeguard for local residents. And, and that's a major concern. You know, We've asked on a number of occasions what's changed um, to m- negate that consideration being included in the master plan, and we haven't got a straightforward or, or clear answer. Um, and there are certainly very serious concerns because the increase in the number of aircraft which would be using the existing east-west runway and the new east-west runway mean that um, there's a lot more traffic in the airspace that's also being used by Essendon Airport, whose flight numbers are also on the increase. So I know we've got brilliant um, people at the aircraft making sure everybody lands perfectly and all the rest of it, but there are, you know, things happen. And so it's rather than trying to sort things out after an accident or a near miss, and there's been a number of near misses, it's better to try and prevent than find a solution afterwards, in, in our view. Helen, just to finish on this point, the, apart from the private owner of the airport, who's pushing this strongly at the moment? Well, um, I think uh, all governments are pushing it. Um, we're also not getting a huge amount of support from our local councillors, residents. Uh, years ago, council were supporting the fact that there needs to be more care taken and consideration for residents. One of the primary concerns that the group has is in relation to um, the noise impact on children in childcare centres, kindergartens, primary and secondary schools in the area and the impact that that has on their 
learning ability and then people's general health and well-being when the noise of the airplane is interrupting their sleep. And so there's many facets to this and it would seem that nobody really has the um, best interests and the safeguards of local residents in, in mind as they had back in 1989-1990. So there's been a shift and it's unclear as to why that's the case. And um, Helen, you've, you've talked about a, a master plan that was in place in 1998 to give residents greater protection. Can you explain more about that and why that's changed? Well, that's what I was just saying. I actually, we don't know why it's changed. No one seems to be able to clearly indicate the reason for the change. There's a claim that in the, the new plan that's coming out that there will be um, recognition and, and safeguards put in place. But considering the, um, there is a planning, the planning scheme for Melbourne, there's a Melbourne Airport Environment Overlay Schedule 1 and 2 which was brought into place and has not and, and impacts on the planning scheme. Now, the planning scheme hasn't been updated to, since 2003. So the overlay to protect both the airport in how close buildings are constructed to the airport, residential buildings, that is, um, schools, kindergartens, childcare, etc., because that overlay has not been incorporated in the uh, planning scheme, our local council has no way of preventing or reducing the development closer to the airport or expansion of childcare centres, which has occurred. And so, really, the planning minister, whichever one, current, past, whatever, haven't seen fit to have that overlay incorporated and done the update. So that's why I say it would appear that many levels of government aren't really um, listening to what the residents are saying, nor are they taking into account what the airport management are also seeking in relation to trying to reduce the impact on residents to an extent, but also keep that safety barrier which is slowly getting eaten away with the development. So um, because the planning scheme that you mentioned is out of date, it means that even if the council wanted to uh, put in place certain safeguards, they can't, is that correct? Exactly, yes. Yeah, because the overlay isn't there and they have nothing except the existing current, uh, the existing planning scheme to, to follow. Mm. Yeah, um, you say that um, the group your group you're in, the consultation group, the not just group you're in, the community aviation consultation group was created to provide the general public with an opportunity to raise their concerns, but that now that's been taken away from you. What? Some more about that? What detail there? Yeah, it's really interesting. I must say, Kevin and Meg, it's really interesting that um, this. Six months because the new master plan is expected to be released, the 2018 master plan for the Melbourne Airport expansion is expected to be released in around June this year. And um, there are still a number of impact study reports that haven't actually been provided to the general public or to CAG and um, the Community Aviation Consultation Group, that is. And um, now they've seen fit to um, 
close the meetings and not have any more public meetings this year for the general public to attend and ask questions. And it's quite perplexing as to why that would occur when it's supposed to be a community consultation group. So you sort of, you question, and we've asked the question, why is this so? What is it that we're not supposed to be asking or are we asking too many hard questions that they're not able to answer? Who's on the group, Helen? Oh, look, there's a whole load. There's about um, five residential representatives. There's about um, seven or eight airport um, representatives from different departments within the Melbourne Airport Corporation. And there's the chairman and there's uh, council representatives um, and I think a Vic Rhodes representative, and I'm short one person, I can't remember, sorry. <laughs> Doesn't matter, Vic Rhodes are everywhere. Um, but I, I assume, uh, who, who appoints the chairperson? The government, I assume, do they? Um, that's a very interesting question. I don't have a lot of background on this, but I am aware that the chairperson um, has had a strong link with Melbourne Airport Corporation, um, Go on. <laughs> uh, look, <laughs> I, I have look a vague memory that maybe he was working with them at one time, but don't quote me on that. I'm, I, I should be mindful on that one. But yes, um, yes. Um, but given, they've given you no reason why it should not be no. stay open to the general public. No, none at all. We can't get answers to any of those points that I've mentioned in the information I sent you. Mm. We've had no responses. We've written to um, the Department of Environment, Lands, Water and Planning. We've written to the chairperson. Um, the Hume Residence Airport Action Group have a representative on the um, Community Aviation Consultation Group who asks questions directly when he attends the meetings. And the Melbourne Airport representatives um, often can't answer the questions and take it on notice and then the questions don't get answered anyway. Mm. Mm. So, so we feel like it's a bit of a, a brick wall. Mm. And Helen, um, when the Melbourne Airport releases their new master plan, um, I think it's the middle of this year, right? Does the, yeah. uh, op- does the community have an opportunity to provide feedback on that? They do. Now, it's a bit of an unfortunate situation for residents because as you and those listening would appreciate, we're not all up on the language used in these master plans that come out. You know, a lot of it's technical stuff as well. And it takes a wee while to chunk your way through, um, you know, a 60, 80-page document and work out what you do and don't agree with. Mm. Now, they've got the uh, master plan for the um, new east-west runway, which is also known as the third runway, um, and the, they're wanting to do um, a 750-metre extension of the existing east runway. Um, so there's that, and then there's uh, another plan. Now, normally, you would be given, as a general public or anybody wanting to provide feedback and comment, would have 60 days for each of the submissions that are being... Uh, to make submissions on each of the uh, plans. However... Um, there's a little loophole in the uh, guidelines for this sort of stuff, which means the Melbourne Airport is able to 
put that all together, release it all at once, and you get 60 days to do the whole lot. Mm-hmm. So half the time. Half the time. And that's, I mean, in all reality, people have busy lives. It's not that people aren't interested. But as I said, reading all of that information, digesting it, being able to understand some of the um, technical data that's contained in that in relation to flights and frequency and all that sort of thing puts people on the back foot. Mm. And um, the consultation process, there's not been much of that um, happening out there. Yeah, it's it's not as um, transparent as one would hope the process would be. Mm. What is, um, as part of the residence group, what are you looking for? What, what are you hoping to achieve and how, how do people get involved? Yeah, look, um, <laughs> if we had the power, <laughs> it would be fantastic to look at this in a far more logical way. Um, if I may just take a moment to say that all the wonderful work that's being done by the airport in getting bigger roads and, and with Vic roads and enlarging the Tullamarine Freeway is not going to be sufficient um, to manage the expected increase in Mm. flights coming through Melbourne Airport and the freight aspect of it as well. Mm. Um, I think um, there has been suggestion that an alternative or an additional airport needs to be built out the eastern suburbs way, out, I don't know, Cranbourne or somewhere out that way, And I think realistically, if you're going to try and service the whole of Melbourne, you need more than one major airport. People already find great difficulty and frustration in getting to the airport at a timely way. To have an alternative airport out in the eastern area somewhere means that that could be servicing people who live out that way in a far more realistic and convenient and acceptable manner it would reduce the congestion in the northern, northwest suburbs. It would mean people don't have to spend hours travelling over to Tullamarine Airport. Now, from a Melbourne Airport Corporation perspective, when they're wanting to grow their business, um, that's obviously not going to be the most desirable thing for them. But from a government's perspective, the government's purpose is to look after its population's best interest and to me and many others this is not the approach they're taking they're not looking at the best interest of all Melburnians so at the very minimum um, the attenuation of noise um, needs to be one of the high priorities um, for residences schools kindergartens Um, childcare centres that are in the flight path or just either side of the flight path because just not being right in the flight path doesn't mean you're excluded from being exposed to the noise. There's been a lot of studies over the last 20 years on the impact of aviation noise. Um, International studies, the UK, longitudinal studies, the whole thing the US, everybody's been involved in this. You can Google your, uh, endlessly and find all the information that's done by reputable um, universities and study groups 
on the impact that noise has on a child's ability to process information, their language development, their attention, their memory, their sleep, mm. and problem-solving abilities. Now, um, these are important factors for children to be able to grow and attain necessary um, skills, um, their education level to go on and provide for themselves a good job but also contribute to the community and it would appear nobody's taking any of this information that's been around for a heck of a long time seriously. Mm. Helen, it would seem in many ways you're trying to prevent an existing problem getting worse because surely it's an existing problem anyway, isn't it, for people around there? Look, it is. And look, we live quite close to the airport. We've only been there um, eight years. The house is a 35-year-old house, so people have lived there a long time. But there has been such a significant increase and there is intended to be into the future, as you can imagine, um, in the number of flights, but also the type of aeroplanes that are being used. And I know that Melbourne Airport say, look, we instruct the um, pilots and uh, all airlines that they have to use a particular way to land, that they have to use this and this to reduce the noise. But when you're in your home, in your bed, and you're woken at 1 o'clock in the morning because your wall is shaking, your window is shaking, and... The noise is so intense, and we've got double-glazed windows. We put them in ourselves to try and reduce the impact. Um, you, you really know how bad the noise is, and people living in any of the other um, adjacent suburbs experience a heck of a lot of noise, and the flights are extremely low. And again, concerns still exist around Essendon Airport, Melbourne Airport, the number of flights in that easterly direction, it's a real worry. All right, Helen, we'll have to leave it there. But look, thanks for your time. And we'll keep in touch on this one because it's going to be ongoing. And in fact, when that final report comes out, um, the new master plan, we'll get back to you and, um, and get some ideas from you again on what it says. Thanks, Kevin and okay. Meg. Really appreciate right. your time this morning. Okay, thanks, Helen, Helen, thanks a lot. Okay, Helen, bye-bye. Helen Franks there, who's... Um, with the, what did we say they were called? The U Residence Airport Action Group. And um, she didn't realise Eugenia was in the... She must have thought you both had a similar voice. <laughs> uh, Slipped <laughs> under the radar there. That's right. Metaphorically speaking. But um, I hope April Break hasn't slipped under the... Under the, um, under the um, what did you say again? Radar. Under the radar. I've been mind blank there. Airport radar. Plane. And um, that's right, airport. And uh, <laughs> we'll come back and talk to April about housing. OK, back on City Limits. And uh, on the line we have April Bragg. You didn't make it in this morning. April? Uh, traffic, no, good morning problems. everyone. Morning. Defeated by traffic. Yes, that's where you are. You see, that's what this show's all about, so that's very good. <laughs> so, so you Just over two hours now to travel in from the outer west to the CBD from any time from about oh, six o'clock, half past six in the morning. God, yeah, it's hopeless, isn't it? I, <laughs> I, uh, uh, yeah, come and move into where I live. Just walk over the road. The, um, yeah. But uh, April Bragg, by the way, is from the Housing with the Aged Action Group. We haven't said that, but most people don't because she's, she's a regular on this program. But um, April, um, you were talking to me yesterday about the fact that with the... or well, let's update what's happening to the redevelopments of the public housing estates. Um, what's the latest? 
Well, um, despite calling for um, particularly a moratorium from um, uh, a number of uh, groups about the um, really misguided um, plan of redevelopment or, as the government calls it, renewal, which is basically... um, you know, doing away with public housing stock altogether. So um, the redevelopments of old housing stock, and we certainly support if um, stock needs to, to be redeveloped, um, that that be done but kept as um, public housing and also done in a manner that doesn't um, affect the current waiting list or, um, you know, you can minimise the disruption to um, to tenants who are living on those estates. So whether you do it on stages on the estates or... Um, you know, you don't do 11 all at once is um, what's happening at the at the moment. So, And the effect that that's having is because people need to be re- relocated out of those properties that um, the Office of Housing is holding on to all vacant stock um, to be able to accommodate those um, those those tenants and that Have, process... So can I interrupt process. Has relocation actually started? Or? Oh, yes, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Um and some people have moved and the process of, um, you know, the Office of Housing working or hiring consultants to work with people to, to find out where they're wanting to go. That That's certainly in, in motion mm. at the moment. Uh, and for, and those say, just, for those who have just landed from Mars, what we're talking yeah. about, of course, is the government plan to redevelop public housing estates with a private developer and much of it will be private, um, end up being private. Uh, yeah, a lot of the quite, land. Quite, uh, quite unaffordable accommodation on public land and, and take away yeah. public housing. Yep, and this isn't a, a new plan. This is the last and, and why, um, you know, campaigns are going on at the moment because this is really the last of the stock. This has been a plan in place for over the last um, probably 10 years, I suppose, maybe a bit longer. started when Brian Howe was the Federal Minister for Social Security um, and had the housing portfolio and everyone would be familiar with the, the large redevelopments that have happened already um, particularly on the Carlton Estate and Kensington, um, where the whole site was redeveloped into a public-private mix. Um, so that's been continuing on. It has happened in smaller um, smaller um, estates as well, and there's very few that we've been able to retain as public housing. Mm. So the private housing, part of the deal in the redevelopment, and so government saves costs in this as well, is that they give away parcels of land to the private developers to to build all the the new housing stock. We have reduced levels of um, public housing, and particularly even in bedroom sizes. So a lot of we lose a lot of the three bedroom stock um, ends up being mainly two bedroom. Well, that's what's happened to date. Um, and of course, then once the stock is on site, because the government doesn't want to um, own or manage um, public housing stock anymore. They hand it over to the housing associations, and I think there's 10 of those at the moment, all have different um, uh, ways of charging rent and different policies. It's not a uniform um, system, and they take over the management of that housing. Yeah, just um, to where we were leading up to yesterday, you pointed out to me that this has created a problem for your service in terms of, of, of of placing people who reach housing crisis, older people reaching a housing crisis situation, placing them in housing. Yeah, so our service works predominantly to rehouse people um, through the priority housing system that um, the Office of Housing has. And we probably house about 20 people um, per per month. 
every um, every month, apart from referring out to external services, we see over a hundred new people every month. Um, but really, we have that focus on you know sort of rapid rehousing. But um, for the last while, the stock's being held. Of course, we're not getting any housing offers, and we I think last month our stats were down to that we housed four people in that month. Um, none of them in public housing. They they were all in community housing. So we don't see that changing. We're, we're now thinking about what we will do as a, a service to, I suppose, provide more supports um, to people's homelessness um, because we can't see, you know, that, that changing for some time. Because once that stock, that embargo on the vacant stocks is lifted, of course, the estates are being built. And so that'll be two to, you know, sort of three to five years. So can't see that there would be really any turnover because we, um, about housing people these days is really about chasing vacancies because there's no new stock that regularly comes online, um, even like we, we had you know, in previous decades, that every year that you would know that the State Housing Authority would be building 3,000 new properties, say. Um, in election years, it's usually a bit more. We get, we get a bit more. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, so it is really about just chasing those vacancies. And when you're doing such large-scale redevelopments of so many estates, um, I, I can't see any stock coming online for, for a very long time. It seems like a... Um, it seems tragic and like it's going to result in something of a crisis for people who are most vulnerable. Um, Isn't there any acknowledgement from the government or the department that this is something that would happen if you are not providing any new stock of homes for people and rehousing? There hasn't been any conversation about that? Well, the conversation, I I mean, the Victorian government has put new money in for some new housing or private rental schemes, but really focusing around, and so it should, um, the family violence, um, mm. uh, you know, projects um, as a result of the Royal Commission. But there is no large, um, there, there is no plan to, to provide housing at a much larger scale and particularly rate, uh, related to what the, you know, the public housing waiting list is. Mm. So they they're expecting that the private market will yeah. provide a solution, but that's really unrealistic considering the prices of the private market. No, that's right. And every, and every year, ever since um, thinking up that scheme, which again, you know, probably been over five years, there's a, a lot of reliance with government money on the private rental sector. Um, a lot of services provide private rental brokerage, um, and so that's the set up costs and maybe subsidy for six months for certain groups of people, but it ultimately breaks down. Mm. Um, and with every report that comes out, ABS data came out this week that showed um, a huge increase, um, particularly older women falling into to homelessness, um, also um, increased numbers in what um, you know is termed as hidden homelessness, so people um, who aren't sleeping rough but are in boarding houses, unsuitable boarding houses or couch surfing or you know, staying with family and friends and for older people that that's certainly the, the case until they wear out their welcome. Um, every report that comes out saying this is getting worse and worse, mm-hmm. um, government doesn't listen. And in actual fact, they, you know, like the, the redevelopment um, or the renewal plan, they, um, you know, just tend to make the situation, situation worse and, you know, can't, can't even talk about, you know, the federal government who you know, abrogated their responsibility a really long time ago. So when you think that, you know, government would really respond to, 
you know, say the ABS data that came out that, you know, said overall large increase in um, in homelessness um, and how shameful that is for, for a, a government and for a country. There's no response at all. Mm. Um, hi, April. My name is Eugenia. I'm actually new on the show, so I'm going to <laughs> ask you for some background info I missed out on. So I'm interested in the um, in the redevelopments that you talked about in Carlton yep. and Kensington. Um, do you know much about the design of those and how it compares to what they're replacing? Um, well, they, they, yeah, there's very little. tends to be standard stuff, and, and again, there's no what um, we would have called in the past warranted needs. So the department really looking at what their their waiting lists are, um, really doing surveys with people living on the on those estates about what um, you know the size of the housing they need, um, what adaptability they um, they need um, with it, and really so, sort of tailoring. So very much now, and as I said before, because um, some of the stock stock is sold off or. Um, is going to be rented privately, but at a discounted rate in terms of what the affordable housing, what they call affordable housing, so 70% of the market value. Um, so it's all not um, necessarily um, public housing criteria. Um, it tends to be designed that, um, again, where you look at profit-making rather than what people actually need. Mm-hmm. So that, that real surveying stuff of... Um, I mean, the department has very good standards in terms of adaptability, um, but with some of these new developments, we, we and that's because of the private influence, we notice that, you know, even that goes out the window. Um, one of the things that they are talking about in these designs that they hadn't done before is flexible housing model where they... Um, you know, they can make two bedrooms into four bedrooms if that's, um, you know, the type of housing they need, depending on who's on their on their waiting list. Um, and that's with the movable walls. Um, and that's the yeah. first time I, I think that that's ever been done in, yeah. in Victoria. So, you know, we would welcome that in some sense. But having said that, it's um, really when, um, just going back to the ABS data, one of the um, staggering statistics that came out was the amount of overcrowding so there, um, and that, you know, particularly um, in the Brimbank area, it was um, really quite staggering the number of people in overcrowding. So rather than sitting down and meeting with tenants on estates that might be in that situation and saying, oh, well, you know, we might need to, to build, you know, 10 four bedrooms and, you know, even, even some five bedrooms if we've got, um, you know, large families or um, intergenerational that need to, to, you know, be housed together. There's none of that kind of um, planning or design. Mm, it's such a shame, such a missed opportunity. Uh, well, think... also in terms of when you talk about, you know, wanting people to have a sense of, of ownership and if you're saying that's a really important thing about building the community, that's yeah, the best awesome. way of doing it. Yeah. One of the fascinating things about the ABS report, I thought, um, was that it obviously isn't that important, the homelessness situation, because the Herald Sun, you'll be pleased to know, April, um, ran it on about page 12 in half a dozen pars. So it was way back there. That's a very little minor story. The front page story that day was the big news of the day where a shock jock senator, after a couple of drinks, had fallen out of a cab. Um, that was the front page news story of the day. So um, so homelessness obviously doesn't matter too much. Well, it's just all really... I don't know where it ends, really. It's all short-sighted. 
It's planning. It does emphasise, though, where where they put the importance um, when, yeah. in fact, homelessness ought to be a major issue for the whole community. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah, and still we victim blame about homelessness mm. rather mm. than, you know, the the market. And it has all the, the spin-off effects, um, you know, particularly in terms of health. Um, of course, the age group that we see, um, you know, major health um, implications with, with homelessness, um yeah, everyone that that we see is is unwell, um, and you know mainly due to the, their homeless, some ageing issues. But we know that once we house them, that that the health um, improves remarkably. But you know, then for families, there's the issues around education for kids and mm. all of those, you know, all, all the all the benchmarks that we all need to lead a decent life. You guys are working so hard there to do what you can. I applaud that. And um, I'm wondering, uh, you said that, you know, you usually house about 20 people a month Mm. and it's going to be a lot less and you're looking at it being a lot less for quite some time. And so you mentioned you were working on other options. Mm. What kind of things are you looking at? Um, Well, really, what our service usually does is that we... Um, run an early intervention program so we mm. get to people before they fall into homelessness. Mm. Great. <laughs> so um, what will happen to the people that we're working with, surely, um, ultimately, what will happen to them while we're waiting these very long times is that they will fall into homelessness. So it's about mm. what supports we can put in place to prevent that from happening, if, if we can at all. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I doubt that we can. Hmm. You sound like you're dying out there. Right? <laughs> which, which, which Are good. you okay? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Can I? Well, I just divert slightly. I mean, this has nothing to do with housing, but it is to do with that fact that they they regarded a a shock jock falling out of a cab as more important than than homelessness. But they did point out that um, the particular shock jock senator they said may have suffered brain trauma and I thought in his case, how would you know? <laughs> um, but anyway, that's an aside. You got your breath back now? Yeah, sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah, I drove past them. I was coming down thinking just about that. I, I mean, really, the Amazing. There must have been a hundred reporters outside there, and that was the news of the day. <laughs> <laughs> like, really. yeah. But we are still seeing the government flogging off um, public properties again, and there's one near my place I always talk about at Jewel Station. But all over the place, we're still seeing public land being given up to the private sector. And in, indeed, this new first home grant that came in in February with people um, from the state government, they said, I think, 50 million aside for, for the year or whatever. Um, again, it's all pri- it's all public money that should be going directly into public housing. Is it not going into the the pockets of the private developers? Yes, yeah, and the same for the rental subsidy scheme. To to think that um, I think Bob said to me yesterday that someone had quoted that to him that there were seventy million dollars going in private rental subsidies that could be used for building is just disgraceful. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I noticed New South Wales, they've been flogging off, I mean, they, they talk about putting new social housing, they've been flogging off, as we know, the wonderful um, public housing at Millers Point, just above yes, just yes. above the quay. But I noticed in the last week or two, much of the money they got from that, they've handed over to, in fact, a private housing, um, NGO-type housing provider rather than the state itself. Um, so the same thing's happening yes. up there. 
Yes, and, and that's a plan all over um, Australia is to hand over all the stock and so government doesn't have a role in providing housing for its citizens. And as I said, <laughs> we're just in Victoria, we're just pushing the... You know the last of of the the remaining land, but I I mean in um, Queensland they've they've handed I think 100% of it all over now, and those private providers are the ones social housing you know the not for profits they're the ones that have the responsibility now of um, you know housing housing the nation so they need to to raise money and mm. you know we've talked before about you know how that becomes a picking and choosing situation rather than you know what we had as public housing if you met you know, the basic income and asset criteria. Um, you know, you were eligible when you were housed, as long as we kept building, but it's a very discriminatory um, system now. Um, we had um, the opportunity to um, put forward some of our clients for a new housing site with one of the um, not-for-profits, and um, I think we put forward 10 people and, we, and very vulnerable women as well. And we just had the worst interviews where they were asked about, um, oh, you know, we, we're talking our client group is <laughs> post-menopausal women. Mm. One of the questions was, are you pregnant? Mm. Um, uh, I, I mean, just apart from it being ridiculous about the sensitivity and what does that have to do mm. with gaining access to housing when you've actually mm. established the bedroom criteria anyway. Another question was... Um, you know, do you take drugs? Do you drink? Um, if you said no to that, well, how do you feel about living next door to people that, you know, drink and take drugs? It was just mm. just appalling. And, mm. you know, as, as someone as, as like you, Kevin, that, you know, campaigned for years and years and years to make sure that we get away with those discriminatory judgments, um, you know, <laughs> things that um, happened in the Housing Commission days, mm. um, to, to sit in 20... 18, you know, it's, um, and have those questions asked, I, I just found it really distressing. Yep, and it's the direction it's going in, which is a cheery way to end up. We may as well end up with you know, people totally, <laughs> totally depressed as usual, April. Yeah, uh, yeah. We've done it it's again. It's been a very bad, very bad week. I, I mm. think if um, people not taking notice of how things, how bad things are after, you know, I know we kept banging on and on about it, but the ABF, you know, data, like, mm. that, that's the issue. It can't be said that, you know, we're... Yeah. we're Switching it anyway, um, and people not to blink an eye about it. It's graceful. And indeed, on what you're saying, it's going to get worse, which is an awful way to finish. But um, but we'll we'll rabbit we'll rabbit on about it again next month anyway. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but look, thanks for your time this morning. Thanks for coming on, and I hope you, if, even if you were sitting in the car in a traffic jam, you probably haven't moved, so you weren't actually breaking the law. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually um, pulled over in Asterdale, but I can tell you they're beautiful birds. Uh, yeah, I can hear them in the background. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh well, there's something something <laughs> that was nice. something positive. Something Yes, okay, thanks, April. Happening to the environment. Thanks. And we'll talk Bye. to you next month. Okay. And just to remind people before we finish, the meeting tonight at Brunswick Town Hall of the um, of the group called MCAT, the campaign against the tunnel, but it's about the um, the East, well, not the US tunnel, the Westgate Tunnel, and it's a protest meeting about it. We hope lots of people turn up. Seven o'clock tonight at Brunswick Town Hall. Our speakers will include John Stone, who's sort of an irregular on this program. He's the senior lecturer in transport up at Melbourne. Mm. Also, Crystal Legacy from Melbourne, who's uh, going to talk about the planning processes. There's also um, 
the woman we spoke to last week, Rosa McKenna from the Spotswood Kingsville South Group. It'd be uh, really someone, interesting. Someone from the um, Millers Road Group. And there's there's Mark Riley, an ex-presenter of this program, who's a Greens councillor at Moreland. He's going to be speaking. And wow. Someone else. So we'll Celebrities, pretty oh, much. Oh, tonight, that's right. <laughs> so, so that's tonight at 7 o'clock at Brunswick. We do hope people turn up because that tunnel does need to be opposed. Mm-hmm. And next week, um, we're hoping to have John... Um, Passant, the um, our, our economics Economist. guru, yeah. um, talking to us about economic guru things. It was really interesting. I've heard him once. It was really interesting. Yeah. So All right. Okay. And well, I mean, always get people to thank you, but thank you, Jeannie, yeah. for coming on the first day. <laughs> Thanks, thank you, Jeannie. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. It's mm. been great fun. Cool.